Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Involuntary Immortals, written by Raj Phillips. Involuntary Immortals is the story of a woman who finds herself outliving her lovers and the incredible peril she faces when she sets out to discover the source of her involuntary immortality. Helen Ranston discovers her own daughter Agnes thinks she is a witch or vampire. Agnes is 40, but Helen still looks 20 and has never aged throughout her daughter's entire life. Even Agnes doesn't suspect the truth, that her mother is over 100 years old and has no idea why she is apparently immortal. With her daughter vowing vengeance, Helen knows she will have to start her life over under a new identity, as she has so often before. Then she meets the young man with the figure-eight pin on his collar. Looking at him, Helen discovers his eyes are those of a much older man. When Eric Trent says, You never thought there would be others, he catapults Helen into the midst of a lethal three-corner cat-and-mouse game, the pawn of ruthless schemers who know how to kill immortals and are willing to kill every one of them in order to control the priceless secret of selling eternal life. Can Helen keep her immortality, or will she lose it, and her life along with it? And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Involuntary Immortals. Chapter 1 Helen Ranston smiled sadly to herself while she sat waiting for her husband to die. When I met him, he was alive and young, she thought. He was 25, and now he looks every day of his true age, 67. While I am still the same, the 20 I was so long, long ago. What could it mean? Without turning her head, she was aware of the presence of her daughter Agnes at her shoulder. Hating, hating the mother who had borne her, who remained a vibrant, youthful twenty, in every respect except years, while Agnes was growing old at forty. You're still young because in some secret vampirish way you suck the life of those around you, mother. That thought, in Agnes's hate-filled voice, spoke in Helen's mind as if it had spoken in actuality so many times these past few years. So much vitriol in that one word, mother. A word that should mean so much, and with all the meaning curdled into hate and jealousy. The jealousy of a woman growing old for a woman who never seemed to grow old at all. Carl opened his fading eyes and looked up at Helen, loving her, even now, while the pains of death tore at his heart and mind. He was speaking. She bent close to hear his almost inaudible words. I've been a very lucky man, he was saying, his lips trembling with effort. The bloom of youth has never left you, Helen. I pray to God that it never will. It's your love for me that has kept it so, she soothed him, and something strange that makes me afraid. I know, he said. 
I've often wondered about it myself. But I say now that you should not fear it, whatever it may be. Nothing but good can ever come of it. Someday you will know what it is. His strong face contorted in a spasm of pain. He dropped back on the pillow. Helen touched his forehead gently with the palm of her hand and knew he was gone. She bit her lip and turned away, feeling something depart from her heart that left it vacant. He's gone, Agnes's shuddering whisper held disbelief. He's gone. Conviction turned her voice into a shrill scream. It was you, mother, Agnes accused. You killed him by drawing his life into your own body, just as you were doing to mine and all those around you. The words, full of hatred, pelted Helen's ears like hail and echoed painfully in her now lonely heart, mocking its emptiness. There was nothing she could say to comfort her deluded daughter, nothing she could do. She didn't know. Agnes could be right. Maybe Helen did drain the life from those around her in some unknown way to preserve her youth. Maybe I did. It was her own despairing thoughts accusing her now. Maybe I do. She moved into the outer room. As she stepped through the door, waiting relatives drew away from her. A wide-eyed youth hid behind his mother's skirt, peeking at her with an owlish stare. He was Carl's nephew, and he believed her to be a witch or a vampire because she was still twenty after forty years as Carl's wife. If they knew how old you really are. Her thoughts were torturing her again. She had lied when she married Carl. How could she tell him she was over a hundred even then? She had told Carl once, and he hadn't believed her, had laughed as if it were an absurd joke. She had finally joined in with his laughter and silently resolved to keep her secret. On the marriage certificate, she had placed her age at 20. Each year, she had added another year to that 20, while her body, her face, her eyes, and her spirit remained the same. If I only knew why! She had said this to herself so often. She didn't know why. She had never been any different than her own sisters and brothers, except that they had grown up, grown old, and died long ago, while she had just grown up and stopped changing. She didn't know why, and she would have to move on now, on into a lonely world, and change her name again, and say she was twenty, and look lovingly into the admiring eyes of some male whose great-grandfather had been in diapers when Helen was already mature. It would all have to be done over again. There was nothing else in life for her except to love and marry and raise children, who would all too soon look older and feel older than she. What had the poet said? If you can see your life work broken and stoop and build it up again with worn-out tools. 
She smiled tremulously at the nephew. Timidly, he smiled back, then buried his tear-stained face in his mother's skirt. Wordlessly, she continued across the room, past the silent statues of mourning people, and climbed the stairs that led to the second floor of what had been her home for so long. The carpeted hall muffled her footsteps. The hoarse crying of her nephew downstairs followed her to her room. The bitter, angry sobbing of her daughter Agnes seeped through the hall faintly, depressingly, like a damp, dark fog. She began taking down pictures and removing them from their frames. Hours later, she had accumulated a trunk full of trinkets, pictures, and keepsakes. She couldn't take them with her, but she could store them. They were all that was left of forty wonderful years. Someday, in the far distant future, she would get the trunk out of storage and open it, and live over again those happy years with Carl. But now, she dropped the lid with a bang. In her mind, that action symbolized the closing of the door to the past. She could not close the door to the future, as Carl had done, nor could she guess how long or how short that future might extend. Another century? A thousand years? A million? Would she be another legendary figure moving through time, unable to die? She slipped the trunk key in the lock and turned it. The click of the lock brought the first sign of emotion to her smooth, beautiful face. She almost gave way to the grief she had been holding in. Almost. In the back of the closet, she unearthed three traveling cases. Opening them so they lay flat on the bed, she took her dresses from the closet and folded them in carefully. Her toilet articles followed. Below, the sounds indicated that most of the relatives were departing. Sharp sounds of footsteps on the front porch, the grinding of starting motors, the snorting of motors as they caught, and the smooth purr they made as they settled down to idling speed. Agnes would be coming up soon. Helen didn't want that. She couldn't stand much more of the accusing look in her daughter's eyes, the mad thoughts and hatred in her heart. She was afraid of Agnes. She knew that. She had sensed thoughts in Agnes's baleful eyes. Thoughts of murder and cruelty. She didn't want to be alone with her in the same house. Her fingers were nervous as she locked the last suitcase and slipped the keys in her handbag. She wished fervently that the halls weren't carpeted, that she could hear approaching footsteps. Agnes might this very minute be standing outside her door, waiting, waiting for her to come out, or perhaps waiting for the courage to open the door and face her mother with a gun Carl always kept in his desk. There was the window. Helen could climb through the window and step to the branch of the tree just outside. She could be down and away without running any risk. The thought of slipping away from her own home in such a fashion made her smile to herself. She couldn't. She did what she had known she would do all the time. Squared her pretty shoulders, held her head up bravely, 
and opened the door. The hallway was empty. She looked down its full length, at its wide ribbon of rich carpet, its high walls so close together, to the space where the stairway led downwards. It was empty, as empty as her life. Agnes wasn't there. The relief was overwhelming. She had so wanted to be left alone, to suffer her grief in hallowed silence, have this last night alone with Carl. Carl. Like a giant sequoia falling majestically in a quiet forest. Like the surface of a deep stream rippling from currents below. She bowed her head and wept. The soft sounds of her weeping drifted in the empty hall like the sad, sweet cry of the morning dove at daybreak when all other sounds are still. Her smoothly rounded shoulders shook under the loose white blouse she wore. Her soft hands, with their long, skilled fingers, hid her face. Alone, she mourned for her husband and let the salt tears of her grief dampen her cheeks and her hands. Gradually, peace came. She dried her eyes with a wisp of lace handkerchief and stole softly down the hall, down the stairs, across the darkened living room to Carl's room. For a long time, she stood beside Carl's bed and looked down at him. Then she left, closing the door softly behind her. As the door closed, one of the heavy drapes at the window stirred. A hidden hand pulled it aside. Agnes stepped out. Her face was etched with lines of suffering. Her fingers clenched and unclenched slowly. She approached the bedside of her dead father. Then she dropped to her knees and buried her head in her arms. Dad, she sobbed. Dad, I solemnly swear by all I hold sacred, I will live to make a year of her life miserable for every year of your life and mine she has stolen. I'll follow her wherever she goes. In the end, I will see her dead. I'll make her pay. I swear it, Dad. Her voice dropped to a hoarse whisper. I swear it. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Involuntary Immortals. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.